Well, good morning, church, and welcome to the house of God. Let's bow our hearts and we'll pray to the Lord before we look at his word. Father, we thank you once again that we can draw near your throne of grace with confidence. And we thank you, Lord, and we will not cease to thank you and be grateful to you. And we ask you, Father, may we, um, may that capacity to be thankful enlarge in us, especially during this time, Lord, of the year when the entire nation is reminded to be thankful, Lord. May, as we are thankful to one another, ultimately know where our blessings come from. And Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people. We thank you for your loved ones, for your saints, Lord, that you have redeemed us and that you have brought us together. You have brought us in order to teach and in order to train us, in order to um, allow us, Lord, to love one another, to learn how to do that over and over and over again until we get to glory. And Father, we thank you that you leave your word for us to instruct us. And we pray this morning as we look at this concept of endurance, that truly, Lord, we would look in the right places. You have instructed us where to look and how to run the race and how to keep faith in order to finish our course. Lord, ultimately, only those who finish will be in glory. And so we pray, Father, let us run. Encourage us this morning to press on. We thank you for your goodness and loving kindness towards us and the instruction that you offer here in this book. And we pray, would you open up our ears and our hearts to take in and to be instructed and to learn. We appreciate your grace towards us here this morning. We ask and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, last year, one of my coworkers ran a local marathon for the first time. And as one would expect, he was pretty excited yet uh, nervous, especially as that day was rapidly approaching. He was doing everything he could to get ready, physically and emotionally, aware of how grueling this event is, especially if you are running the marathon for the first time. And so to prepare emotionally for this event, he watched a video which highlighted eight stages of marathon running, along with some accompanying thoughts that a runner goes through as he moves on through the marathon. I want to present to you these eight stages before we look at the text. Stage one, at mile one, excitement. Wow, what a beautiful day. Listen to everyone cheering. This is going to be great. Months of training is paying off now. I'm hydrated, glucosed up. The mental game is on point. Let's get this done. Stage two, at mile five, denial. Okay, okay, so I'm a little behind of my normal pace. No big deal. You know, keep going, keep going. Uh, yeah, I don't need to stop for water just yet. Oh, look, here comes the hills. Uh, that'll be fun. Stage three, mile 11, shock. Wait, I'm not even halfway there yet? I, I've been running forever. All these hills, is the whole course hills? This is going to be tougher than I thought. Stage four at mile 16, isolation. Where is everybody? Am I still on course? Uh, I haven't seen a water stop in forever. Uh, well, I guess it's just me, myself, and the road. Stage five at mile 19, despair. I am going to die. Why did I even sign up for this? My thighs are raw like two hams. What else can possibly go wrong? Well, uh, at least I didn't hit the wall yet. Stage six, mile 22, the wall. 
I hit the wall. I've never been so tired in my life. Even my teeth are tired. I think I'm just going to quit. Stage seven at mile 23. Affirmation. No, I need to power through this. I didn't train for months to give up like this so late in the game. Time to dig deep. Think of the Olympic runner who finished with a broken leg. If he can do it, so could I. Come on now. Finish the course. The finish line is right ahead of you. Stage eight, mile 26, elation. Yes, I did it. Oh, this is the greatest feeling in the world. Now carry me to my car. (laughs) You know, so often something uh, similar happens to us in our Christian walk. So often we experience weariness in, in doing things that Christ calls us to do. Like exhaustion in battling personal sin. Uh, we experience weariness in, in, in dealing with the sins of others. We experience fatigue in, in being faithful to our roles as husbands and wives and as parents. Or in being faithful to our call as ambassadors for Christ, preaching the gospel to those whom God brings into our lives. We experience weariness in loving and serving others in the church because of various factors, be they sinful or not. And so often we, like this runner, experience shock, isolation, and even despair. We hit the wall, and all we want to do is just roll up in the ball and do nothing. We all have days like that, perhaps months, perhaps very long seasons. If you've been a Christian for for any length of time, you realize why the New Testament makes, emphasizes the concept of endurance over and over and over again. I mean, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. That one will be saved. Paul, praying for the Colossian church in chapter 1, says this, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, since the day we heard of your repentance, we have not ceased to pray and to ask the Lord. And what were they praying and asking? It says, so that you would increase in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind. Why? For the attaining of all steadfastness, for all endurance and patience. I am praying because you're going to need it. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, let us not lose heart, brothers, sisters, in doing good. In Romans 5, 15, he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. It takes a God of great encouragement and endurance in order to infuse this endurance and this encouragement into us so that we can go through life and actually end our course. Brothers and sisters, we must not downplay the importance of endurance in Christian life. We sometimes are so happy because we've entered the race, because we know Jesus, because we are saved. But the Bible over and over and over again emphasizes not the entrance into this race, but the completion and the fact that we must go through and endure. This is why this letter to the Hebrews is so important. It was important for them, and it is as important for us this morning. Because of the suffering and the persecution that the early church was experiencing, some of them, they wanted to throw in a towel Wondering if this Christian life was even worth living. If following Christ was worth the heartache. The author of Hebrews wrote to these Christians to encourage them to keep going. To endure for Christ. And he used phrases like, be diligent to enter that rest. Keep going. Hold fast to your confession. Press on. In Hebrews 10, verse 36, we read it at the beginning here. 
he tells these Christians, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And in verse 39 says, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Brothers and sisters, you need to endure. Is this the kind of encouragement that you need, church, this morning? If we're honest with ourselves, you and I need to daily press on for Jesus. We need to fight the fight of faith today, tomorrow, and the next day. And I hope as we study this passage this morning, you will be encouraged to endure for Jesus, to endure for Christ. Open with me to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll read some of the Probably one of the famous portions of Hebrews here, verses uh, 1 through 3 of Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which, which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, the goal of, uh, of this message here this morning is just to encourage you to keep living for Jesus. Every day to make it your goal not to be discouraged, not to despair, not to quit on your walk with Christ, but to make every moment, to make every decision that you face count for Jesus. Look with me. At the end of verse 1 here of Hebrews 12, the main exhortation here, the main command here for us is this. Let us run with endurance the, set, the race that is set before us. Let us run. This is the main thought of the entire section here of verses 1 through 3. Let us run. Brothers and sisters, please run this race. And this race is a great metaphor for a Christian life. It is not a 100-yard dash, but it is, in fact, a marathon. The very idea of this race that the author of Hebrews has in mind means that it's going to be tough. It's going to be grueling. It, it, and it's not like these Christian or these Hebrew Christians were, were unaware. They were beginning to experience fatigue in their Christian profession of faith. And some of them began to drop out of this race. And what does the author tell them? Take a break? No. He says, brothers, you must keep running and endure to the end. Quitting this race right here is not an option. There are other races, even the marathon. Whatever race you may enroll in this life, it's okay to quit if you're on the verge of dying. But this race here, he says, you cannot Quit. You do not give up on this race. It is just that severe. That is why when you come to Hebrew, every third chapter is filled with warnings. Do not give up. This is too severe. And we just read one of these warnings here at the beginning of our service. It's a great metaphor for a Christian life. Run the race. That is set, notice, run the race that is set before us. The course that each of us runs is determined by our loving Father. Each of us were personally invited to participate. This race is not open for all. We have been summoned. The course has been prepared by the gracious and merciful God, and each one of us is running this 
course, our lives may look different. Our hills and valleys do not correspond to one another. You may be looking at another person. You may even be tempted to think and and look at your children or look at another family in this church and and wonder, why is their course so easy? Uh, Why am I facing all these hills and and they're they're just sailing through? Brothers and sisters, Our courses may not correspond to one another, but we must all endure. God has prepared our course for each one of us to run because he knows exactly what it is that we need to do and what it is that he needs to accomplish through this race. Run the race that is set before us with endurance. Notice, with endurance. Three times he mentions the word endurance here in verses 1 through 3. Run with endurance. Keep on pressing on. Make every effort to advance in this race. When you, are f- when you feel like giving in and giving up, uh, hang in there is literally what he's saying. And the question for us this morning to consider is how? How do we keep press on? And the author here gives us three means by which we advance forward with endurance. And I want us to consider these three means here this morning together. And they are these. We advance and we press on by remembering the witnesses, by removing impediments, and by reflecting on Jesus. And we'll take them one by one in our time here together. Number one, press on by remembering the faithful witnesses. If you were to read this first verse and start at the end here, let us run with endurance the race that is said before us since we have a great cloud of witnesses. And what he is telling us is to look at those who have done it before and who have done it well. You know, in life, we're constantly looking at examples for encouragement on how to win at whatever stage we find ourselves. If you're a student choosing a career here or is praying or is thinking through, right, you're encouraged that many adults whom you know, right, pursued a a, a vocation and are actually successful in it. So, So it gives you courage. It gives you hope that, man, if I just do my school well, if I just you know, keep at it, then I may be as successful as, as this person. If you're a parent, what helps you keep going, right, in faithfully raising your children is knowing someone who has done it well, enduring through the toughest of years. And you look to that senior, right, or that couple, and you look at their children, and you see how much time they've invested into them, and you're praying, and you're saying, Lord, help me be as diligent, help me be as enduring right now in these years of investing into my children. As an athlete competing to win a prize, you look at those who successfully competed and you study what they did, you study what they ate, you figure out what they wear, and therefore looking at their example, you have hope to actually complete it yourself. And so here, the author of Hebrews, he offers help and encouragement, providing the necessary resources for these Hebrew believers and to us, by extension, to continue to press on, to keep living for Jesus first by observing those who ran the race before us. And he says, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses? Notice the first word in verse 1, therefore... Based on what is previously taught and said in verse or in chapter 11 here, the author is drawing a conclusion in these opening verses. These witnesses are the men and women of faith that are highlighted here in Hebrews 11 who displayed a great deal of endurance in the face of severe hardships by doing what? By maintaining their faith in Jesus. And so as you go through Hebrews 11, you will find at least 24 times the word faith is referenced. They have endured by faith, therefore run the race by looking at those who have endured, 
Who is this witness? A witness is the one who can testify to what he has seen or what he has heard. You know, so often when we hear this passage uh, taught, um, you know, in, in whatever place, because of the metaphor of a race, the picture is often painted as um, we are all here in the Colosseum or in some kind of stadium, and we're running our race, and we have great crowds, right, of witnesses, and, and there are those people who have ran the race, and they're sitting in the bleachers like, like you guys right now, and they're, they're cheering us on not to lose faith and just keep going. Tim, you got this. Keep trusting Jesus and, and, and everything. And, and therefore, we're, it's almost like we have this pressure as we run this Christian faith not to disappoint Apostle Paul or, or, or Peter or, or someone else who is sitting in the first row. Um, is this really what the author of Hebrews trying to tell us? What are they witnessing and who are they witnessing to? I think these faithful men and women are testifying to the life of endurance. They are bearing witness that God can see us through life's trial. They are not there necessarily cheering us up. But if we were to care, and if we were to look back and to observe and say, who are these men who ran before us and completed the race? They are witnesses to God's enduring faithfulness to them. They testify that endurance is possible by God's help. The life of faith is worth living. You are not alone, brothers and sisters. These witnesses, they teach us about faith. Consider in chapter 11, verse 7, look at Noah. Look at Noah. He believed God's most impossible proposition and remained faithful until it actually rained. And the author of Hebrews, he's saying, listen, if you're tempted to give up, if you, don't, if you don't want to believe a portion of Scripture to remain faithful to the Lord, to forgive your spouse, or to deal with in this situation this way, look at Noah. There was no rain. And I, I, and I told him that I will send rain, right? And, and for 120 years, he was building an ark and looked like a fool. And everyone was laughing at them until the Lord actually fulfilled what he promised. And by faith, Noah did what he did. And by faith, he endured. And by faith, he survived. And by faith, he finished his course. Or consider Moses. In verse 23 of chapter 11, he chose to be faithful to God even though he had the pleasures of sin dangling right in front of them. I mean, he wanted it, right? And some of us think that I want, to, I, want to, I want to follow Jesus. I want to um, serve him. I want to love him. But, but not right now. This, this, this temptation to sin. The pleasures, and, and no one is denying these pleasures. They are real. You want to commit sin. And Moses, what, did, what does the author say? The pleasures of sin. He, he, he wanted to leave them away. Choosing rather, verse 25, to endure ill treatment with the people than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. They are pleasures and they are enticing. But what Moses does is by faith, he says, not right now, I want to please Jesus. The author of Hebrews writes here in verse 12 or in chapter 12, let us also. Brothers and sisters, as you observe these men and women of faith, what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to encourage you to also run, to also lay aside, and to believe in God. These men and women of faith teach us to endure. We're supposed to look at their life and say, this life is worth living for Jesus. Not the way we choose, but the way God desires. I'll remind you of what Paul wrote to Romans 15, 4. He says, for whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Are any of you struggling and are hopeless here this morning? Paul is saying this was written so that as we study the scripture, we may be filled with hope because we're not the only ones running this race. This book is filled of men and women who have completed the course. And the author says, look at them. Be encouraged. Scripture stresses this point over and over again. 
Follow those who follow Christ. Look at those who have learned to endure by faith and persevere to the end. Follow men and women who point you to Jesus. I'll be honest with you, sometimes the thought of being like Jesus or following Jesus is so daunting. You already just, you give up by just thinking about that. Well, he's Jesus. But you know what? If you look at a man, if you have a man or a woman in your life or someone you read about in scripture or some biography that you read about and you see that they are following Jesus, they, you know, if you see another sinner uh, giving up sinful pleasures, battling unbelief, being patient with their children, forgiving those who have sinned against them, not returning evil for evil, this example of Jesus becomes very real. This past year, I've been studying church history at Cornerstone, and it has served as a real faith builder to my soul. I can't tell you how many times during our lectures or private readings at home about men and women of faith that the Lord has stirred in me to trust in him in whatever difficult circumstance I find myself. I mean, uh, men like Irenaeus, Augustine, Patrick, George Whitfield, Wesley Brothers, Jonathan Edwards, women like Esther Edwards Burr, Hannah Moore, Anne Dutton, Elizabeth Taylor, and many others have been a real source of encouragement to my soul to keep going, to press on, to forgive, to trust the Lord, to not get your own way, to surrender it to Jesus because at the end of the day, it's all worth it. And I would command these men and women to you as well along with scripture and the countless testimonies that we have here, find biographies of these men and women and read them, not for mere scholarship and knowledge, but for the sake of perseverance. Reread because we want to learn of how they did it. Dear Christian, are you looking to these giants of faith who testify to the goodness of God and the need to endure right now? Do you have men and women in your life, dead or alive, who, who are a source of that encouragement, to whom you can look to, whose biographies you can read, whose works are available to you? The point here is very simple. These heroes of faith, they pleased God. Look at verse uh, 39 of chapter 11. At the very end, as he sums up all this, he says, and these have gained approval through their faith. And the author says, so can you, so can you, if you trust Jesus. Look to the crowd of witnesses as an encouragement that you can endure and be pleasing to God. But that's not all, church. As we are encouraged to look to the outside influence, we are instructed to also look at self, which brings us to the second point Press on by removing the impediment to your progress. Press on by removing the impediments to your progress. Keeping the race metaphor, the author now instructs the reader to, to consider what it is that, that they're carrying while they are running. And he says, you also lay aside. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Lay aside everything that weighs you down and impedes your forward progress. Most of you know that in the first century when they participated in these games, they would wear as little clothes as possible and in some cases no clothes at all in order not to be hindered by anything. Even today, you can probably tell the type of sport an athlete participates in simply by looking at their dress. I mean, think about this. You will never find any serious runner who has a shot of competing, let alone winning, running a race in skinny jeans. You're just not going to find them. Why? Because that leg constriction, right, is, is, is very serious. You will not make forward progress. However, uh, a, a tight shirt and bib would actually do the, the job for running. 
In a spiritual context here, the author is telling us that, that we need to be aware of these things which hinder us, which weigh us down, which prevent us from consistently following Jesus. And he presents two things here for us to focus on. He says impediments, encumbrances, and sins. What is an impediment? An impediment is anything that hinders you from reaching a goal. You have a goal. An impediment is something that gets in the way of that goal. For instance, you want a good night's rest. Your children can be an impediment. Or your pregnant state can be an impediment. That's something that we're dealing with right now. In fact, both are true. Children and pregnancy. We're, we just can't seem to get good night of rest. Or, or you want to get into a top school, your high school grades can be an impediment. So students, do well if you want to enroll in a good school. If our goal is faithfulness to Christ and endurance to the end, then anything that prevents us from reaching that goal is an impediment. It is a barrier. And notice this, that it doesn't have to be sinful. Because he separates those two, impediment and sin. So sometimes even the good or the neutral things in life, they weigh us down and make it that much more difficult to run the race. Think about this. Sometimes for some of you, spending too much time with a certain crowd can be an impediment for you to run after Jesus. For some of us, our hobbies or recreation, things we enjoy very much can stifle our devotion to Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, what is it in my life that prevents or makes it very difficult for me to focus on Jesus and to press on in faith, to spend more time in the word, to spend quality time in prayer, to have more opportunities to um, invest into someone here in this church and so on. You know, sometimes we, we don't even realize some of the things in our life that are actually hindering us in, in walking with Jesus. You know, it's like going on a hike and overpacking. I've gone on a couple of hikes, and it's, you know, whenever you pack, you always think you will need this thing. You always think you need extra food. You always think you need extra water. You always think you need extra pair of shoes or, or extra whatever. And so you pack. And it's only after 10 miles or so of walking that you figure out, man, that, that extra pair is useless. There's just too much stuff in my backpack. I need to start laying it aside. I need to start casting it off. You know, we went on a on a run hike this Thursday, this past Thursday with our youth group. Some of the parents joined us, Run to Feed the Hungry. There were over 25 or 27,000 participants there. And it was kind of cold. It was low 40s. And uh, this is a run hike. Some people are very serious about their running, so they come prepared. Some people, though, because it was cold, you could see them wear raincoats, snow coats, fur coats, I mean, you could see all kinds of clothes, and, and you're starting to wonder, are these people out here to run, or are these people out here to sip on a cup of coffee, you know? And so, because of their wear, because of their clothing, and so, and, and you begin to wonder, and, and as you started running, we were mostly walking, but some of these guys, you could kind of see halfway through, about two and a half miles in, their coats, right? They wished that their coats would be hanging in their closet rather than around their waist. Why? Because they started to sweat, and it became uncomfortable. They couldn't really enjoy their hike or their run anymore. And in the same way, some of you may not be realizing how much some things in your life have been hampering you and slowing you down because you haven't gone all out for Jesus. You know, it's only when you start really become serious about your walk with Jesus. It's when you start putting and, and giving primacy to your time with Christ your devotion to Christ, that you figure out, you know what? Although this hobby is not bad, but to me, it's hampering my devotion to Christ. And I need to lay this down. It's only when you start running. It's only when you decide to do things for the Lord, to do things by faith, to nurture your soul on the word of God, 
that you begin to realize how many of these neutral things are impediments to your investment. So run, church, sweat, and lay aside all that gets in the way, no matter how innocent it may appear. Do it for Jesus. And of course, the second thing the author wants us to focus on is casting all sin. Casting all sin. If the encumbrance and something that weighs you down is just unnecessary weight, then the sin is something that entangles you. Look what he says here. Laying aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. It entangles you. Not only is it extra weight, but it functions like a shackle which prevents you from moving at all. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, man, 2019 is almost gone. We're, we're, it's December 1st, brothers and sisters. And, and, you're, and you're looking back and, and you're thinking and you're reassessing, what have I done? How far have I moved along? How have I uh, matured in, in my faith? And, and this may be the reason why. Sin, which clings literally so closely, it ensnares, it begins to control you, it surrounds you, it obstructs, and and it constricts your spiritual progress. The controlling presence of sin makes it harder to believe the promises of God. It weakens your devotion to Jesus. It makes you indifferent in the spiritual war. It, it, It makes you want to give up to sit on the sideline. Listen, if you adopt a don't-care attitude, you can be sure that sin has had an effect on you. So, dear Christian, press on by removing impediments to your progress. What is it that we must repent of today in order to get back in the race full of faith and hope? Notice the present tense of this participle. He says, let us lay aside. Let us do this continually. What is not hampering you today may hamper you a month from now or a week from now. Or a year from now where you will realize that, you know what? Last year I didn't think that it was bad. But today it's actually affecting me negatively. Doesn't it seem like at every stage of life there are impediments to cast off and sins to repent of? This is an endless cycle until we finish the course, until we fulfill our faith, and until we see Jesus. It's a regular practice in a Christian life. Why should we remove impediments? Because any kind of impediment, it, it kills our motivation to run the race. We're just not comfortable. We just can't run. We're constantly looking at these things. If you want to finish the race, the author says, throw these things off now and keep throwing them off as the Lord reveals one by one. Not only does it kill our motivation, it actually kills our enjoyment of Jesus. We can't enjoy Jesus. When we repent of sin, learn how to put off the deeds of the flesh and put on the heart of Christ, then we will finally realize that it is so much easier to run and enjoy Christ, to love and to serve him, when there are no known sins that are hampering us. If we're trying to come to church here and listen to the word of God, if you're trying to participate in the communion, if you want to serve your spouse or serve another brother or sister here, and you know that there's, there's sin and it's hampered, it's like a shackle, As much as you want to do that because you know this is the right thing to do, you can't really enjoy it. Why? Because it's there and you need to lay it aside in order to enjoy the deed because you're doing it for Jesus. It kills motivation. It kills enjoyment of Christ. So church, press on first by remembering the faithful witnesses. Press on by removing the impediments to your progress. And finally, we cannot hope to run this race And finish the course, unless we look to the perfect example to whom the author goes next. Number three, press on by reflecting on Jesus. Fixing, verse two, our eyes on Jesus. And there are three things that I want us to focus on here. The author wants us to reflect on his person. He wants us to reflect on his passion. And he wants us to reflect on his position. 
The idea here is that during the race, in the middle of endless distra- distractions, our focus must be solely fixed, tunnel vision, on Jesus. You're looking forward to the finish line. And what's going to happen at the finish line? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, we will see Jesus as he is. And so as you look forward to the finish line, it gives you hope. The author here doesn't want these Christians to focus on anything else but Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus, verse 2. Look ahead. Don't look at your shoelaces. If you're focused on your feet or if you're focused on the audience, what will happen to you? You will get off course. You will be like that marathon runner wandering around the 11th mile. Why did you even leave your home? Why did I even start this race? Why am I over here sweating? Uh, You know, I'll just take a break. I'll, I'll, I'll sit right here. And you can imagine how that applies to the Christian life, to the Christian race. If you're focused on the difficulty of the race, you will grow weary and give up. That's why the, the author tells you, brother, sister, press on. Press on and focus on the person of Christ. Fix your attention on Jesus because the race is too hard. You do not enter this race thinking it will be easy. For those of you who still think that, put that, lay that aside too. That's an impediment. Lay that aside. Know that this race is hard, but focusing on Jesus you will actually go through. Specifically, he wants us to focus on two things regarding his person. It is that he is the author and the perfecter of faith. He's the author. Some of your translations might say he is the pioneer. He is the leader. He's the one who gave us faith and enrolled us into this race. But but not only that, we look to Jesus as the one who took the lead, the, the one who went ahead of us. Christ is not only the object and the source of our faith, but he is the example of enduring faith. Church, remember Christ. Remember that Christ as man, he actually lived a life of faith. Sometimes I think we forget that. But when Jesus was in the flesh here living, he actually did everything that you and I are called to do here right now, to rely on the spirit and to believe in the promises of the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And when we're tempted to give in, when we're tempted to throw in the towel, to cry that this race is hard, look to Jesus because he has dealt with everything that we will be ever asked to deal with. Not only is he the author, he's the perfecter. Not only is he the one who promises to bring our faith to completion, but Jesus demonstrated in his life that his faith completed its intended purpose. Consider this, that every single day, Jesus lived for the glory of his Father and according to his will. He actually accomplished that. Christ endured it in the most difficult situations without losing faith. And that is why, after giving this hall of faith here in chapter 11, the author points to Jesus and he says, listen, as great as these witnesses are of enduring faith, When you consider every single name here and actually go to the Old Testament and flip back to where you can find their stories, you will realize that many of them failed and they failed terribly. But Jesus, he's the only one who demonstrated perfect faith. Jesus is the supreme example of endurance. That's why the author moves on from his person then to talk about his passion. He says, who for the joy said before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Talk about hardships and trials, brothers and sisters. In the most difficult of trials, the leader of faith continued to rest on his father, trusting that the difficulty before him pales in comparison to the fruit of his labors. Consider All that Christ had to endure during the, or leading up to the cross. Consider also everything that Christ had at his disposal as the son of man. The entire created order, the son, upholds everything by the word of his power. 
and he holds it at his command. And he even alludes to the fact in Matthew 26, 53, he says, Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? It is not something that he had necessarily to do. It is something that he wanted to do. And according to the promises and determined plan of God, he absolutely had to do that. But there was certainly a way out. But he endured. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Instead, he was passionate to his father's glory. And in this process of endurance, as the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 5.8, he learned obedience so that as a high priest, he can sympathize with us, knowing everything that we're going through. Of all the hardships that you and I are experiencing now, today, and will be experiencing tomorrow, Christ has suffered that much more. Think of the endurance that was required to go through the suffering of the cross. And it wasn't his to endure. He endured for us. Why? Because he says, for the joy said before him. Because of the joy, he looked to the reward of getting to please his father and of securing a people for himself, you and I. And that is why this morning we can come together and we can assemble here before this table and we can participate in communion remembering that Christ has endured. He endured for the glory of God. He endured for our sake. Christ looked to the future. He looked to the reward. And therefore, he was able to overcome the shame of the cross, knowing what will follow. Consider his position. At the end of verse 2, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As a result of his passion, he sat down. He finished what he set out to do. He completed his course. He sat down, it says, at the right hand. He sat down in place of great honor. Jesus was rewarded for his endurance. Jesus finished the race. He reached the finish line. He sat down and is forever glorified. That is why we praise him and we honor and we worship him church if you want to endure if you should press on keep your eyes on and reflect on jesus look at verse three consider him consider him four consider him based on what i just said in verse two the author is saying this is the inference. This is the implication. Consider Jesus. And, and what that word is, is make careful deliberation concerning this one. Carefully meditate. Don't make this quick. Don't try to get over this fact too quickly because you got other things to do. No, sit down. Take off your jacket and consider Jesus. Consider him. Because this kind of consideration, because this kind of meditation prevents you and I from being discouraged, from becoming tired and falling sick. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that, here's the purpose, the reason for our meditation on Jesus is so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. This phrase here, to lose heart, it literally means to faint for lack of food. Just give up. Your body shuts down and you're done. You consider Jesus so that you don't fall flat on your face, but you would endure for Christ. Oh, church, there's so much joy to be had during and at the completion of your race. You can, you can feel the, the close presence of the sun in the most dire of circumstances. That is why in chapter 10, verse 35, 
the author tells them in opening up this section on endurance, he tells them, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. We got a lot to fight for. We got places to go. And we got things to do for Christ. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't look back. Don't wish that you hadn't entered the race as some of the Hebrew audience were tempted to do. Persist on, brother. Press on, sister, knowing that you can experience much joy and comfort in the midst of this race and even when you're going to get rewarded. And that's why the author of Hebrews, he has this confidence to say, but we, in verse 39 of chapter 10, are not of those who shrink back to destruction. We are not of those who give up. Those who sit on the sidelines and hit the wall and we're done. But of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul, to the perseverance of This is where we get the phrase, the perseverance of the saints. Our souls are going to be preserved because Christ ran the race and he is the author and perfecter. Brothers and sisters, are any of you here in shock? Are any of you isolated, despairing? Perhaps some of you here are just flat out done. And you came here just hoping to, to find some glimpse of hope. If today you are growing weary and experiencing setback, ask yourself, what am I focused on this morning? Are you remembering the giants of faith who could testify of God's faithfulness to them? Oh, if they were right here with you this morning, sitting right next to you, they would probably tell you, you don't even know. You keep going. You keep pressing. Are you removing barriers and repenting of sin? Perhaps something has clouded your focus and is squeezing joy and internal perspective out of you. The solution here is repent to get back running, focusing on Christ. Are you reflecting on Jesus? Are you looking to Christ? You know, as we sang before the sermon, Christ, the sure and steady anchor. If you focus on him day by day and carefully meditate on his person and work, you can be sure that you will endure through the harshest of trials all the way to glory. And be like Paul who said in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, there's a crown for me in glory. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. Even the saints of the Old Testament, as they were running, they were looking forward to the promises of the coming son. The son came, the son lived, the son died, the son resurrected. And this morning we celebrate the son. And it is because of the son that we have this hope and assurance of pressing on and to finish. So help us and encourage us here this morning. We thank you, Lord. May we be joyful, looking expectantly for you to fulfill what you have started in and through us. We pray and we ask these things in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.